warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. And you're a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism with Scott and with Stephen. Good morning. Morning. Happy Halloween. Happy oh, Halloween. That sort of it should be. <laughs> it's a Halloween episode. This is our third. Yeah. Uh, Theatre of Blood and The Wicker Man previous years. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, we're, it's almost like the Zorin theme. <laughs> what a scary movies. And, and, and still, three years down the line, we have yet to do our first Hammer Horror, uh, but we do still have these plans in place to do a proper Hammer retrospective, don't we? This is what we're looking for. Absolutely, yeah. Um, as soon as we can get ourselves organised and we don't have things like, you know, pandemics and uh, other things <laughs> getting in the way, it's a bit shocking how many other people have managed to you know, get more done under a pandemic, and, and unfortunately it's the opposite. Exactly, with, with but me. yeah. It's, yeah. it's such a big subject, we want to do it justice, don't we? We just don't want to be throwing together the occasional hammer horror here and there. We want to do them chronologically and just give them the respect they deserve. So there's no hammer horrors in today's episode. It's a gothic horror, I think would be fair to say. It was your choice. Yes. The Innocence, yeah. 1961. Mm. Yeah. Let you into a secret. I hadn't seen it. <laughs> You've done it again. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I like that noise, by the way. Did you, did, you, did you think that you'd seen it, though? It was one of those ones, and I'll, I'll, I'll get this story out of the way now, that, again, I thought I'd seen it, and because I thought there was a twist at the end of it, I was in no rush to go back to it, because, oh, you know the twist at the end. And do you know what I thought this one was? It's the typical story of the kids of the ghosts at the end. Which I think was the others with Nicole Kidman, wasn't it? <laughs> well, well, I was going to say yes. That 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 is um, one of these problems that you sometimes have, and and unfortunately, it's one of the difficulties with um, some younger viewers sometimes trying to appreciate uh, um, some of the classic films that we um, hail is that they've seen the tropes that have been yeah. taken from them and used in other films subsequently. And so when they see the original, it doesn't have the same impact because they're going, well, yeah, that was done in this and that and the other. What's what's so special about that? And you're going, but this is the first time it was done. That's right. So, um, and I think to some extent, that's, you know, this did set the standard that things like the others have actually then picked up upon and, and tried to do homages to mm-hmm. rather than ripping off. Um, but yeah, so maybe that's why you... you thought you'd seen it and you hadn't. Oh, yeah. For years, like, you know, when I'm trying to find a, a different horror movie to watch around sort of this time of year, it's like, oh, The Innocence. Now, I've seen that one. I know how that one ends. And I'm watching it and I'm thinking, 
I don't remember Michael Redgrave being in this, you know. <laughs> and as it develops, I'm thinking, okay, this story is not what I thought it was, and I don't remember this at all. We'll go more into depth about the whole of the plot, the story, our reaction to it. You've seen it before, I believe. Yes, okay, I have. so I'm quite familiar with it. I'm, I'll be interested to see your views on it after multiple viewings compared to my first time analysis, so to speak. Let's take a short break. Hopefully there's a nice trailer out there we can use. We'll be back after this. especially for the adult moviegoer until The Innocents. <laughs> Do they ever return to possess the living? 20th Century Fox, which presented Deborah Carr in Heaven Knows Mr. Allison and such outstanding motion picture immortals as Snake Pit, Gentleman's Agreement and Peyton Place, now gives you The Innocents. Based on the Henry James chiller of macabre evil. Brilliantly adapted for the screen by William Archibald and Truman Capote. Do they ever return to possess the living? You can see. You must. The Innocents. Produced and directed by Jack Clayton. The man who directed Room at the Top turned into fearful reality by the magnificent performance of Miss Deborah Carr with Michael Redgrave as the uncle, co-starring Peter Wingard, Megs Jenkins. I saw him staring. Who, Miss? The same man, the man on the tower. The tower? But now, just now, he was staring past me into the house as if he were hunting someone. Oh, what's he like, Miss? Oh, he had dark, curling hair and the hardest, the coldest eyes. Is he? Would you say he was very handsome? Oh, yes, yes, handsome, handsome and obscene. <laughs> Do they ever return to possess the living? And when did you first see and hear of such things? Why, I made them up. Shall I tell you who taught them to you? I won't ever again, I promise. Shall I tell you who taught you the things you've done, the things you've said? Shall I tell you his name? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps the most controversial concept in human relationships ever presented on the screen. With one of the world's great stars, from the man who directed Room at the Top, a new and adult motion picture experience.
That's The Innocence, released on the 15th of December 1961, directed by Jack Clayton. Now, on IMDb, the writer is listed as Henry James, though obviously it's based on the turn of the screw. Also contributing to the writing is John Mortimer and a certain famous, famous screenwriter. Did you spot who it was? Truman Capote. Truman Capote actually did the bulk of the dialogue for this. And I think it's pretty obvious when we get to what we're going to be talking about a little later on. The cast includes Deborah Carr, Michael Redgrave, Megs Jenkins, who we've seen several times now over the past few years. Bless her. Bless her. We do like a bit of Megs Jenkins. Peter Wingard doesn't say a word in this movie. Um, Pamela Franklin making a reappearance. We need to talk about her. And creepy Martin Stevens as Miles. Now, we need a bit of a plot summary, mate. What have you got for us? Right, well, in Victorian England, the uncle of orphaned niece Flora and nephew Miles hires Miss Giddens as governess to raise the children at his estate with total independence and authority. Soon after her arrival, Miss Giddens comes to believe the spirits of former governess Miss Jessel and valet Peter Quint Possessing the children, Miss Giddens decides to help the children to face and exercise the spirits. Gothic horror. Yes, cool. it's not your, um, you know, your your mon- monster creature feature um, type horror. It's um, more keeping you guessing and what you know to some extent what you don't see and That's what you're thinking mm-hmm. is is happening and, and is that what is ha- happening or is that just a, a what somebody believes um yeah. and is is there any any truth to it or is it somebody's psychological state unraveling um and it's all done um all done to try and, and draw you in in that way rather than just being some monster coming out of a lake um dripping in blood yeah sometimes it took took me a while to work that part of it out this this whole ambiguity which apparently is very true to the novel the ambiguous ending yeah and I'm watching this, as I say, the first 10, 15 minutes is me thinking, have I seen this movie or not? And then I soon got into it realising, no, I haven't. So I relaxed a bit, and then it suddenly became apparent that it's not a haunted house movie either. It's it's There's a lot more psychological element to it. There's a lot more, as you say, is this happening, is this not happening, or... Is this happening to this one particular person? I'm being very vague and obscure here because I don't want to give too much away plot-wise. But it had me intrigued. And as I said earlier, you know, I'd I'd like to find out, did you interpret the movie in a different way watching it for a second or third time compared to your first film? Because I know for a fact that there's a lot of unanswered questions in my brain after watching it just the once. And... I may watch it again before before Halloween because I, I loved it so much, but I just need to have some questions answered in my own head. Yeah, I would say that um, the the <coughs> the influence of this film, I think, on um, other subsequent films and, and filmmakers, um, and not not just filmmakers. I think that I've, I've, I'm aware that the um, like the the fellows who do League of Gentlemen who've gone on to do. Um, Things like Inside Number Nine and, oh, and stuff yeah. that um, have been influenced by this this classicness that there's that 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 twist or that question that ambiguity. It's definitely something that's that 
I think wasn't maybe appreciated by audiences at the, at the time of it coming out because it was um, maybe a bit too sophisticated in that sense for <laughs> your average cinema going. Certainly it tied into a lot of things that had been done. I mean, we know um, particularly through our friend Adam um, with the um, Secret History of Hollywood, the, the exploration of Val, Val Luton mm. and his attempts to actually bring more to the screen the, the the psychological element and the this um not outrank just monster creature feature and and with this um it's it's on the same vein where you've got the um the question mark over it you, it's it's what you are seeing and what you aren't seeing and and the questioning um and how much of it is the, the psychology of the people um and who is actually being affected um by things that go on that is is something that first time round I think it, it it doesn't fully land with you just because it is um it isn't what you expect necessarily and obviously with you it wasn't straight away oh, what no. you what you're expecting so then go on from there to try and catch up try and catch up with it um despite the fact it's not a, a barrel along a hundred miles an hour it's it, it's still there's it's still got things happening all the way through it which are, are are leading you with um, seeds um, towards the ending, and I think that that's why watching it a second time I think will be beneficial for you and and perhaps everybody else as well that hasn't already seen it, um, because you start putting those seeds together. We know there are a number of films that stand the test of time that are more complex than just an initial viewing um, shows, and you watch it a second or third time, and you've picking up things you didn't pick up the first time around and going, oh, that's clever. I didn't, I didn't get that first time around. And I think this does have that in it. There are, there are bits that you, um, you, you won't necessarily have, have picked up upon um, or, or realised consciously that you picked up upon um, from the first watch. Yeah. Um, so I think it will be enhanced by, by future viewings. Um, you know, even if it's just a second viewing starting to allow you to, see it more in its entirety i think that might be where, where you're coming from from it so um obviously off off the mic i'll hear from you at some point about <laughs> what your reaction was after a second viewing but um certainly that's something i would encourage in people to to make sure that not maybe not put it on straight away after you've watched it watch it again because that would be too soon but you know with a short amount of gap between the two look at it again because it's got enough in it and because it is an early example of this sort of um, the the atmospheric horror, the suspense and the the, the chill in there, um, rather than it being the, the, the in your face. Yeah. I think that's why it deserves a a, a, a re-examination as, as a, you know for people to watch it who maybe think they already have seen it, but also um, <laughs> people who, who who want to revisit it and actually um, appreciate it again and realise what they've forgotten didn't realize the impact it had on me until about 24 hours later um it was bizarre i watched it and i couldn't process what i'd seen yeah um i knew i enjoyed it but at the same time i'm thinking there's a lot going on here and in the back of my brain i'm also thinking this is listed in top 10 horror lists by many many people and i'm thinking yes it felt like a horror. It's more of a, 
it's not even supernatural. It's, there's a supernatural element to it, but it's more psychological who done it almost, but not in an Agatha Christie way. It's really difficult to describe. It, it falls under about six or seven different genres and categories, this movie. And as I say, I watched it the night before last, but all day yesterday, certain scenes and certain images kept coming back to me. And I'm thinking, wow, that actually is classic horror material. Some of the cinematography, you know, just the appearances of these these figures, these ghosts, and I'm thinking... Yeah, that's that's what made it. So it, it, it took a while. It took a while to sink in, which I, I still haven't fully processed it. Like I say, I absorbed exactly what was going on, and I'm thinking that's the sign of a great movie that it's made me think. I haven't dismissed this movie immediately after watching it, and I want to go back. As I say, how many times have you seen it? By the way. I think this when I watched it for this, I think it was actually only the third time I've watched it. Yeah. Um, I watched it quite a while, quite a long time ago, um, and I did. I don't think I did. I think it was so long ago. I don't think I actually um, did appreciate it properly. And then I was sort of nudged towards watching it again, probably about seven years ago, maybe. Okay. And I thought, you know, this yeah, like you, it's got a. a um, cachet to it mm. did i really think what i thought of it the first time around and maybe revisit my my opinion had i actually given it the proper attention and when i did i was like no i actually absolutely i didn't really <laughs> didn't really correctly first time around it wasn't that i hated it but i just kind of hadn't hadn't absorbed it taken everything I was, <laughs> yeah i think i was too young and and too um lacking in in ability to um in, in the limited ability oh. i have for for appreciation of cinema um oh. I, I don't even think i had that then so um <laughs> and i do think it absolutely it that the, the horror tag yes it fits within that genre but it's a a, a broader based one it's the suspense mm. and the, the the thrill and the the atmosphericness um of it all rather than it being what horrors to some extent become which is why i often say i don't like horror films because uh, as such because so many of them are, they're just sort of gore and... and jump um, scares and that. There's no but, jump scares or anything like yeah, that in this movie the, and at it, all. Yeah, yeah, and it's not, there's no sophistication to it. It's just the, the scares of trying to show you something horrific on screen and that doesn't necessarily work for me. It's the it's the, the intellectual side, which is obviously, you know, was run run away with by um, people like Hitchcock and, and Val yeah. Luton and other people who decided to, to use what you didn't see Oh, yeah. Has been more, more, more scary or more chilling to you than than um, what you did see, mm. and this is a great example so early on as well in in, in 1961, whereby that was done, and obviously the the, the source material been lit previous century. I think yes, it was yeah, 1890 something, mm. which again you know was sort of coming about of the development of of novel writing to actually pick up on more sophisticated themes and make people make people do what you've done, which is you finish it and you actually, uh, uh, it's left you thinking rather than it's just been a pastime to, to get you, you through. It's left you, you're thinking about its themes and oh, yeah. questioning, questioning what things meant. It hasn't given you the me. answers. In truth, it's disturbed me in a way because I didn't realize how disturbing the movie is until I've sat and sort of thought about it afterwards. 
And I'm, I'm jealous. That's not just a young boy kissing an adult woman. That's there's, there's, there's stuff like that, yes. You know, and, and the second movie featuring young Franklin is the second time she's taken her clothes off. But yes, also, yeah. <laughs> but also I'm sort of jealous of you in a way because you've watched this three times now and I think you've seen three different movies. It's, it's You know, you found something different in each viewing. That, that, yeah. You know, uh, that's how I'm imagining. I'm thinking, you know, I'm looking forward to my next viewing of it. The, the One of the first things I thought of when I was watching it was like, okay, Deborah Carr as a governess, Megs Jenkins as a housemaid, two people born to play those roles. You know, it's like, oh, here we yeah, go again. absolutely. Here, here we go again. But you get a tower house performance, don't you? Or sorry, even a powerhouse performance from um, Deborah Carr in this. This is no um, King and I this movie <laughs> no it's, i mean yeah absolutely i mean beautiful as she is her, her her acting talent is is you know fully there and it's not it's not doing a kind of um you can imagine in different hands um director wise and and star wise this would have been a completely different film i mean if you imagine it being done by a different director and somebody like um you know uh, elizabeth taylor put in the part it would have yeah. been just a, an, an overblown um, drama and stuff, but the subtlety of seeing Deborah Carr's character unravel and the the build up of what is actually, you know, on one side what she's seeing and the toll that's taken on her and which the chicken and egg situation is it that there's, there's the psychological damage that's been shown in her gradually building is because of what she's seeing or is her psychological damage um, building up and that's that's making her see what she's she thinks she's seeing and that's you know that but the subtlety in her performance um, absolutely she she does it with an, an amazing she's why it's so often you know cited when they're talking about her because it is such an immense performance from her um, and she's not the only one in it I mean the kids performances in it like you've said is is astounding mm. really yeah. um, kid child actors actors and actresses can often be incredibly annoying and these two absolutely amazing performances, uh, and, and they get just the right level of creepiness. Well, I, I think um, the, the young actor that plays Miles has got a bit of a track record, because I'm looking at his face, I'm thinking, I've seen you in something else, and it was something similar, you know, another horror. If you imagine him with blonde hair, he's one of the kids in Children of the Damned, or Village of the Damned, one of those two movies. Yeah. So yeah. as I say, he made a little... <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a career for himself as a creepy kid. And we know that Franklin can act because she was absolutely fantastic in The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie, which we saw yeah. on our 50th episode. Um, I read somewhere, somebody described this as a classic case of the pure fantastic, which I'd never heard of before. And it's a film where the audience is sort of stuck between two interpretations of the events experienced by the characters. That's actually got a... a a definition it's called pure fantastic and this, oh, right. is, this is what you get isn't it it's, it's a thing um but then there's so many different explanations as to what's going on without trying to give too much away but you know are the ghosts real and possessed miss giddings are they real and possessed flora and miles d d you know who's seeing what in this movie and you also don't know until about halfway through, how they actually died, these two characters? It's the mark of, uh, uh, as I said, I mean, the, the original source material, it was only um, that really part of the original timeline of when 
they were writing novels that didn't conclude and didn't give you all the answers on the last page of, of um, con- you know, actually an epilogue of, of wrapping everything up. It left it open to interpretation. And this film does a fantastic job of, of doing the same thing. You, you the, There are to some extent contradictory um, answers that you're coming up to, to questions throughout it, mm. which... We've got natural yeah. explanations as well, haven't we? As well, yeah. you know, it could be yeah. the fact that somebody's having a complete nervous mental breakdown. You know, it's, it yeah. could be anything. And it's and it's all there, uh, and there's signs, there's stuff to support each and every one of those um, interpretations, which is why people are still talking about it now, mm. and why it still stands the test of time, in in my opinion, and why, um, you know, it still fascinates and and people like yourself who've got the in- interest to. You know, understand. You're drawn back to it. I mean, I'm going to ask you this because this is something that's stuck in my brain as well. I've got to go back, and there was, you see these figures, these these ghosts, these whatever they are, five six times throughout the movie. There's about five or six appearances of both the male and the female ghost. You know, on the tower, at the window, in the lake, in the meadow. You know, all that sort of thing. But. You having seen this movie a couple of times, were you watching out for okay, who's in this point of view, this frame of this movie? Who's actually seeing that? Did I notice that you know in certain certain shots where the ghosts or the, the figures appeared, it's it's done from a different point of view. If you know what I mean, it's like. Is that done from Deborah Carr's point of view? So she's as much as possible. That. They're trying to show it from Deborah Carr's point of view. Right, that's what um, I was trying to work out. It wasn't as yeah. if like the kids have seen it or no, Jenkins no, this is seen this is them the. Or, mm. I think this is the the subtlety that they've done as as filmmakers. Um, so credit to to them absolutely for being able to to do that. That they've taken, um, you know, they've taken that that view to show it from from her. Um, from her eyes, yes. So it leaves it leaves the question of whether it is just her seeing things, or whether that's what she's seeing. Okay. Because if they showed it from the from other people's point of view, then you having to try and uh, then acknowledge that that person has seen it. We get an answer, so, then we? we so get an answer. that, yeah, that then means not it's not yeah. not just one person. And I think that's you know a brilliant way that they've they've done that with subtlety to get across that that it could be one of the two two versions of that rather than it being there's a, a you know other characters who are you can say well from that shot that was their that was their eyes seeing that so they saw it that's the clever um, part of the film which is that the clever is, bit yeah, yeah the really clever part and I, I didn't pick it up until about the third or the fourth appearance I'm thinking. Has anybody else actually seen that? Because even the very first sort of encounter isn't even a viewing. It's as she's coming up the garden after leaving the carriage. She hears Flora, Flora being called. But nobody else hears it, doesn't it? Because Megs Jenkins mm. went, well, no, it wasn't me. It might have been another one of the servants. you know. Um, and it starts off right at the beginning like that. And, and straight away you're thinking, okay, this may only be relating to one person. But even then you're still not 100% sure where this is going. Again, I keep going on on about this, but I do need to see this another time. I think what we need to do, let's take a little break. Jang- jangle your keys, take a walk up the garden path with me. We're going into the Village Hall of Fame because I know we've got a couple of people we need to talk about, mate. 
Village Hall of Fame. Take it away, my friend, as the curator of the Village Hall. Right, well, uh, we've got a, a, a few people who uh, are making their second appearances in it. Obviously, a, a film made in this country uh, this year, in the 1960s, um, it would, I think it was, there's some law that had been passed through Parliament that you had to have one of the Redgraves in it. So, <laughs> oh, <see> um, <laughs> so, so we had Michael Redgrave in this, and obviously, um, he, although he's he's not managed to catapult himself fully within the um, the Village Hall of Fame, he is making his second appearance is because of his all? previous uh, appearance in Dambusters. That's the only other appearance he's made in three years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Surprisingly, yeah. yeah. He's, um, other other Redgraves have. <laughs> I've beaten him to the punch, uh, Vanessa and Corin, but of course, um, he's still yeah. waiting in the wings, waving at them through the window. Um, <laughs> he's just a face at the window at the moment, um, bless him. And as you previously mentioned, uh, Pamela Franklin, who had been in um, Pam and Miss Jean Brodie, Tower House performance of, of amazing talent in, in her in both mm. um, films she was in. Thankfully, uh, we've, we've got her as a second appearance, but yep. um, also a second appearance is Isla Cameron, who, again, was in Miss Jean Brodie. Oh, um, okay. So um, she she has an appearance there. I mean, although we, we recognise some of the, the other people in it, particularly, you know, as we, we know, we've got a voiceless uh, Peter Wingard uh, in this. Um, he, he doesn't actually... He's not appeared anything else so far, despite us recognising yeah. him from, from 70s television Highly unlikely he's going to bother the, the village hall yeah, too much. Yeah, he was more television. Yeah. So he did get did get second billing on this film, I think. As, incredibly. As well, yeah, incredibly. <laughs> so, um, whereas the person who, who maybe should have had second billing on it, um, uh, Megs Jenkins. Yes. Um, who... Absolutely bless her. I mean, I see her and keep seeing her in things. She's it's surprising that this is on her third appearance. She's finally made it in. Oh, um, right. But it's, uh, thankfully, uh, previously in, in Bunny Lake and in Troubling Star. Yes. Um, so, and yeah, I mean, in Troubling Star, particularly, she just comes across as so lovely the character in, in that. And she's a fantastic actress that just you know, she plays similar parts a lot of the time, you know, in, in films, but she's just dotted around all sorts of British cinema. Yeah. And um, really, I think she deserves more attention than she's she's ever had as, as Meg Jenkins. But yep, um, definitely, certainly, certainly in this part, she's. Uh, although you could argue on one side it's typecast, um, on the other side she's she's absolutely exactly the right person for this role. So yes, yeah, so thankfully, um, I mean they're the the. It's a very small cast, to be fair. Mm, not many at all um, in this. Yeah, yep. I mean we've we've got I think I don't know how many people are in it. Is it about? Ten people or, or nine it's people. Pretty much, and two of them don't say a word, as you say. Yeah. So we're, you know, it's 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 not an avalanche of, of people um, coming into the, the to be possible. It's, um, it's about time we, we've had some, you know, some crowding at the front door in recent episodes, haven't we? Are yeah, yeah. We've had more together. people entering the, the village hall of fame than actually have been in this film. Yeah, it's uh, true. So, we've had some bigger um, time. <laughs> With the cast of this, and this, you know, obviously, as we've said before about you know things that are more player like, so um, which have of less cast members often. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, a limited number of people, but uh, you know, certainly not a bad performance amongst any of them. No, um, no. Oh. It really is the quality is is packed in there, but a subtlety in the quality as well. I mean, as we said, some of the performances could have been done by other people, quite overblown. Um, and that would have perhaps spoiled the film, but this was done spot oh, on. Perfect really. casting. Perfect casting. We mentioned off air that we need to to mention somebody that's part of the crew rather than the cast. 
And yes. Mainly because what he contributes to this film is equally, if not more important to the act- than the actors themselves. It's the cinematographer, Freddie Francis. Yeah. And the only reason I've asked him to be included as part of our Village Hall of Fame, I don't think he actually goes in, I'm just checking now, um, is because his CV... All right, it's, it's, it was, you know, cinematographer for about ooh, 30, 40 years or so. But in later life, you've got the French lieutenant's woman, the elephant man, June, apparently, who was, who was the, uh, the um, chief photographer here, it says. Um, another David Lynch movie, The Straight Story, which is a great film. But we're going to see him again very soon because he's, he's director of photography at Room of the Top, and Saturday night and Sunday morning, Sons and Lovers. Yeah. Um, massive, massive movies, some of these. So I'm sure we're going to be seeing him very, very soon because the third, you know, this is his first appearance, definitely. And as I say, we don't want to focus on crew so much, but sometimes somebody comes along and it's like, yeah, you need to, you know, your John Barry's, your Basil Dearden's, that you need to bring to people's attention because his contribution to this. Just, just look at some of those scenes of, of, of across the lake, or incredible scene of Peter Wingard appearing at that window. That is, that must have been replicated a thousand times in a thousand movies. That particular effect, that was absolutely stunning. That was the bit that I thought, yeah, horror film we've got here. That's it. Mm. Yeah, and there are some honourable mentions that we do um, make occasionally and and in in this regard he's absolutely one of them because not just his contributing himself to to cinema but also the influence he's had like you say that that scene and it's back in this you know this day and age there was emerging technologies but also they were trying to trying to find new ways to use them and new ways to actually create the effects they wanted that nobody had ever done before and that experimentation a lot of the time was massively credited to individuals who who, who were, were solving problems on the hoof sometimes. Mm. He's an example of that where he's managed to use techniques that perhaps you know hadn't ever been used before and then have been copied, but there's not the the credit going going to that innovation, either either technically or just in a, in imagination. So absolutely it's, it's entirely right that we raise his name um, as somebody you know somebody first to at least acknowledge yeah in this particular movie I mean it's black and white it's cinemascope straight away I'm thinking elephant man you know 20 years later is exactly the same sort of medium um, and although he's not relying on the darkness to give us great effects a lot of this you know a lot of the appearances of these ghosts take place in the daylight the things that stood out for me apart from those sort of spectral appearances Things like the candlelight. There was a lot of candlelight in this. Yeah. And that really worked well with the shadows and the corridors and, and, and the whole sort of setting of the of the gothic house almost. Certainly needs to be brought to um brought to our attention and we'll bring him up next time he turns up, which won't be very long because it'll be room at the top or whatever. Absolutely, next yeah. Time we see you, just just as a tangent mm. off what you were saying it's just something I was wanting to ask you, and it's probably appropriate point now. Yeah. Do you think this this film would have worked as well if it had been in colour? No. You straight don't think away. It would either. Straight away. And you know, right from the outset, that that opening credit sequence, it sort of reminded me of Bunny Lake or yeah, 
I'm sure it had that sort of opening sequence with somebody talking or it was focusing on something, wasn't it? Wasn't it a child's doll? Or well, but Bunny, Bunny Lake, there's the, there's the, the song that gets repeated yeah. again and again. And, and this is where, where it comes in, that, you know, you've got the... A child singing on their on their own can always mm. be quite spooky, yeah. um, particularly if you then suddenly pay attention to what they're, they're saying, because we know lots of nursery rhymes are incredibly dark and, oh, God, yeah. and vicious. But yeah, I mean, this, the fact that this film starts out with like whatever 20, 30 seconds of just black screen with the, the haunting yes. singing over it before the... The, the the logo production logo mm. sort of kicks in, yeah. um, and you know I have read that the uh, initial release there were certain people um, who skipped that bit because they, the the projectionists didn't realise that that was an intrinsic part of the film to get it started <laughs> and set the mood. It, it's something I was thinking about that if it was done in colour, it'd have to be done with maybe some more modern sensibilities on colour. Because at the time, if it was done in colour, it was done basically technicolour, yeah. which I think would have completely ruined the yeah. entire atmosphere of the of the film. Take your focus away. You, you would be focusing on costumes and, and you know the the colours in the garden of the flowers or the lake, or and and that's not what this is about. It's it's about people's minds, people's perception of things. We've been, we've been very vague. I know we're going to start winding this down a wee bit now, but we've been very vague with regard to the plot here. We've given absolutely nothing away. Um, and I don't want to. I want people to go into this movie as blind as I did, or at least thinking they've seen it. You know, <laughs> going mm. and watching it. And think, no, if, you, if you think you've seen it, you haven't. You're, re- you're rewarded on all levels, I think, and... I'm sure I'm going to be rewarded again because I want to see it two two more times, three more times. Who knows? And like you, I think I will get two or three different movies out of this. The unfortunate, unfortunate thing is, I think that the rewatches. Mm-hmm. I think that just from my own personal perspective, the longer I leave between the rewatches, the more I I get out of the rewatch. Yeah. So I'm kind of trying to pay a delicate balance of wanting to rewatch it, <laughs> but not wanting to do it too soon. Because the familiarity might be uh, a bit too much, and okay, uh, we've, yeah. we've spoken about that before with with some films that we particularly like that you don't want to watch too much because yep. it kind of makes you too too familiar with it. But I think for definitely for you watching this again soon would benefit, um, mm. and then leave it a, a, a while before you get round to your third watch. Okay, um, I think that would be the the way to do it. So um, maybe before Halloween, like you say, watch it. A, a second time and then put it away now, for five years yeah. or so yeah put it away for a couple of years yeah mm. maybe two years or so and then then go back to it and go oh yeah well I, I do remember this again now and oh yes this i remember why this had an impact upon me <laughs> i'm looking forward to it in, in my star rating system i only gave it four to start with but like i said in the last 24 hours another star has crept in because it's just it, it, i couldn't fault it I could not fault the performances, the direction, the cinematography, the music. There was even some electronic music in there. It wasn't traditional score, was it, in a lot of places? And it's a bit like the gift that keeps on giving. You know, this one is like, okay, give it another go, like you say. And um, I haven't gone away disappointed from this movie, put it that way. Well, I'm glad you've, you've you know, you especially since it was a first-time viewing mm. um, 
there was always the chance that it might not live up to expectations. Um, but with me, I, I think that the um, yes, there's the usual caveat that this might not be to somebody's taste, and they can always already tell that. But otherwise, I would I would recommend um, anybody who's particularly interested in in cinema, but also interested in in, in being in you know having something that's going to make them think when they're watching. It's not make them think in a terrible cerebral way that's going to be challenging, but just something that isn't just chewing gum for your eyes, yeah. which a lot of modern horror can be. Um, this is something that, that that is cleverer than that and will actually have more impact, I think, for that. So I recommend that people do hunt it out, particularly when they're wanting something this time of year. Yeah. This is a perfect excuse to, to make the effort to go and watch this film, and which is, is a, not banded around accidentally that this is a, a classic of, of horror um, because of the impact it has not just on cinema the, the, and the genre, but also the, the, it still can have an impact upon the viewer um, after, what, 60 years? Yeah, it's, in, it's intelligent horror, as you say. Mm. It's, it's not your jump scares and your monsters jumping out of closets. And I think this is one that would benefit from a big screen as well, being that widescreen black and white cinemascope. Um, I think because of the detail that they put in, and like you say, things out the corner of your eye, mm. did you see that or did you not? And because that's, did she see that or did she not? Yeah. Um, that on a big screen, absolutely, I think it would be it would be beneficial to see the, the, the bigger the better. Um, size sometimes does matter. Yeah, I can, I can genuinely say didn't scare me, but it disturbed me. I think is is the best way. It, in a good way as well. It didn't. You know, I didn't have a sleepless night, but it kept me thinking. It's kept me thinking about the movie forty eight hours later. Okay, that's the Innocence nineteen sixty one special Halloween episode today. As we say, we've already announced what we're going to be doing next time because this one has been sort of slotted in the schedule. But we'll take a short break and we're going to remind you what we're going to be seeing after this.
as we announced a couple of episodes ago. Stephen, it is your choice for the next one. It's one I haven't seen again. You haven't let me down so far. I like the look of this. It's The Butcher Boy from 1997. Without giving too much away, what's it about? It's about um, a dysfunctional young boy whose family life has kind of fallen apart with mental illness and alcoholism. Um, in his parents mm-hmm. and he goes off the rail and has an encounter with religion but it's all set in like the the 60s in in a rural island yep. and is a is a dark comedy really doesn't um, sound it, <laughs> it doesn't no, sound very cheap yeah no, it's where i was trying to trying to get in there at the end this is a dark comedy you know no, it's, it's not it's not a, a, a massive, terrible, depressing drama. Is that it a, tr- a tragic feeling... comedy? Is that, is that how we're going to call it? Does that count? Yeah. And looking forward to this, because it's, it's Neil Jordan, isn't it, this one? It is, yeah. And obviously he's got a number of Hollywood films under his, his belt, if people look at his, his CV. But this was after he kind of started making a name for himself, but him still returning to his Irish, um, Irish roots mm-hmm. in a way. So it, it meant that he, he had a bit more pull and uh, budget to be able to do what he wanted with it but yeah. without it being hollywoodized as such so i think it's, it's it's quite a nice one that just fits um in there and hopefully um you will get something out of it as i say you haven't let me down before looking forward to that because stephen ray's in it i think fiona shaw was in it as well i spotted somewhere so Sinead O'Connor. is Sinead o'connor in it as well <laughs> briefly <laughs> getting better by the second okay (laughs) that's in a few weeks time we'll be back very soon Stephen thank you so much for (laughs) introducing me to the innocents Um, yes I I don't think anybody has ever said before that I've I've introduced them to innocents oh no no Uh, no no (laughs) totally enjoyed it mate thank you so much I'll see you in a couple of weeks time you take care you too take care
keeping the British hand up, sir.